Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome to The Broad Experience, the show about women, the workplace, and success. I'm Ashley Milne-Tite. This time on the show, we look at life for women in the world's technology capital, Silicon Valley. For women who want to get funding for their companies, the relationship with an investor can sometimes get tricky. They get into one-on-one situations with the VC, and instead of it being a conventional conversation about a term sheet, it's a conversation about, well, what else can you give me in a sort of more sexual way? And what's it like working for one of those huge, well-known tech firms where the gender ratio is somewhat skewed? The team that I'm on, actually, we have a fair number of women programmers. But even then, I, I mean, I definitely have had the experience of I say something and it's just not believed until it's repeated by a guy. But there are plenty of good things about it, too. Coming up. I'm producing this episode of The Broad Experience in partnership with The Financial Times. It's the second of three podcasts I'm doing with them. And my first guest this week is the FT's San Francisco correspondent, Hannah Kuschler. She covers social media and cybersecurity, and she's also done a lot of reporting about women in Silicon Valley. This, after all, is the center of the tech world. It's where Apple was born and still lives. It's where Facebook, Google, and thousands of startups are all located. Hannah moved to this beat from London about a year ago, and she's found the culture in the valley quite a change from cynical Britain. Everyone's so positive about everything, she says. And if you read the entrepreneurial press, you'll know even failure gets a good rap these days. But one thing Hannah can't see in a positive light is how few women seem to thrive on the tech scene. A tiny minority of tech startups are run by women. And she says despite the latest well-publicized efforts to get young women interested in coding, to see tech not just as a male domain, something's wrong. There have been women in tech for decades. People often forget in Silicon Valley that this isn't something that came about since the iPhone, that this has been an area which has been a centre of tech since the 60s. And there have been women there for decades, and the stats show that people just drop out. So it's not just about you know women not feeling like engineering is their thing or you know um, not making the right choices at the right times to study maths or whatever. It's, it's about the culture within the place that makes people not want to be there even when they have the skills. And that culture, she says, it's really driven by startups and they're all about getting things done quickly. She says one of the reasons women are thin on the ground is because of how startups hire. There's a there's a perhaps sometimes healthy attitude and scorn of, of normal HR practices. Some you know, you know, if you're moving really fast, you're hiring people every other day, you know, you don't have time to go through, you know, huge amounts of rigmarole about who you're trying to hire and, and why you're hiring them. But because of that, people start to look for for their own patterns and that tends to be their friends. 
and that tends to be people who look like people who've been successful before, you know, the mini Mark Zuckerbergs and whatever. And that means that women are often taken less seriously, you know, both when they sort of are pitching to customers and staff and whoever, but, you know, the, the biggest pinch point perhaps is, is when they're trying to get funding, which is still a very necessary part of founding a company. And talking of founding a company, it's tough for anyone to get funding. But as we discussed on a recent show, more than 90% of venture capital funding goes to male-owned firms. And that's at least partly because a tiny minority of venture capitalists are women themselves. Sometimes male investors just don't get the point of a particular product if it's aimed at women. Female investors are likelier to do that. But Hannah says some of what happens to female founders is much more serious than being passed over for funding. And it goes unsaid. This is when it gets really kind of almost upsetting to hear the stories is is the kind of sexual harassment that can go on between VCs who have a lot of power over founders. And there's been lots of instances of people reporting, often anonymously, because there's still not quite the culture where people can come out and and sort of name names, of feeling very victimised and, you know, that they get into one-on-one situations with the VC and instead of it being a conventional conversation about a term sheet, it's a conversation about, well, what else can you give me in a sort of more sexual way? And it's not just investors. You may remember a story from earlier this year about a woman called Julianne Horvath who worked at a firm called GitHub. She came out publicly and said a top male executive at the firm made sexual advances. She turned him down. Then his wife, who also worked there, started bullying her. It was news. It made it out of the tech press and shone a light on the culture at some firms. Although the firm in question didn't admit legal wrongdoing, it did say there had been errors in judgment. Hannah says, sure, some women do go public. There's the recent story of the female co-founder of dating app Tinder. She accused one of the company's male founders of harassing her horribly after they broke up. But yet so many people, both men and women, say, you know, don't name names, don't say anything. And of course, if people were actually being properly called out for this, I mean, technically what they're doing often is illegal. So, you know, being called called out with the law would be great. But but even just sort of named and shamed, then maybe we've got to a stage now where they would they would be shamed if they were named. But people are too scared. And, and that's, you know, that's really not a great situation, you know, in terms of trying to improve something quickly. I've heard a couple of these stories in New York, and again, the women don't say anything. They're business owners, and they want to get on with their business. Out in sunny California, perhaps there's even more reason to keep quiet. As I said, the culture here is so sort of relentlessly positive that that the people that I've spoken with are often like, oh, well, you know, I just had to put it aside and and move on, and that's great. But, you know, it's not great for the next person that walks into that room. This kind of thing can still go on, of course, because of the huge gender imbalance in Silicon Valley. Marissa Meyer may be the CEO of Yahoo, but she's an outlier. Men still hold most of the power there. Fewer women graduate today with computer science degrees than they did in the 80s. Within the last several months, some of the biggest firms, including Google, Facebook and LinkedIn, released information about just who works there. The stats which were released over the summer, and there was pressure uh, from people like Jesse Jackson to release stats on diversity, and they showed both racial statistics in the workforce and 
gender stats. And it was about sort of, on average, the big tech companies, it was sort of 30% women overall, but 15% in the technical roles. Now the technical roles are not only better paid, but they tend to be, have a better standing within the company. You know, companies like Facebook like to say, you know, we're, a, we're an engineering first company. And, um, and so 15%, if you imagine that in terms of, you know, the team you might be working in, that is often you are the only girl in your team, or maybe there's one more. And then at startups, I think there aren't stats for it, but my feeling is it would be that or lower. And we're going to come back to that thought, because my next guest is pretty much living what Hannah just talked about. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Talia Fukurue has a computer science degree, but she isn't a computer engineer. She works for a big Silicon Valley company you've all heard of as a program manager. Back in the late 90s, she was studying computer science at Carnegie Mellon University in Pittsburgh. I was one of four women in a class of 120. There were seven Davids in the class, so there were more Davids than women. More Davids than women. And all those Davids and Steves and Todds, they like to spend a lot of their spare time practicing what they learned in class. Talia began to feel a bit out of place. Seeing these guys around me who were, all that they did, like in their free time, in their hobbies, like all they did was code. And that wasn't me. And so I thought, okay, well, I guess I'm not a programmer. And that's why professionally I never went into programming. She's done a bunch of different things, all connected to technology. She's just never become one of the small number of women who code for a living. One of her previous jobs was for Hewlett-Packard. She was a system administrator. Basically, she had to keep the company's computer system up and running, which I said sounds like a pretty important job. It's an important job, but to be honest with you, it's considered kind of lower on the pecking order. Because, like, if there's a, a macho-ness to programming, like programming, people who write code are like the highest level of, of machismo. Because these are the guys, these are, I say guys, but these are the people who really go forward and, um, you know, write the new stuff and, and make it interesting. She says the same thing is true of her current job of program manager. It's a role where she brings people together and makes sure everyone is on the same page when it comes to making a project go the right way. She says she knows this is a typically female job in tech, coordinating rather than coding, but she really enjoys it. She says it's her calling and the pay is not bad. She has three young children to support, and she's been the sole breadwinner since her husband quit his job as a chef to look after their baby daughter. And since she has a daughter, I couldn't help asking what she thinks of all these efforts to get girls into coding, toys like Goldie Blocks or just courses aimed at girls. She really likes the idea of getting girls interested in this area that traditionally has been aimed at boys. But... I've seen websites which are like all about girls programming, and they're all pink, and that really frustrates me, honestly. She says, look, she gets it. But these efforts to appeal to women through traditionally girly roots, they don't end with teenagers. So for an example, at the Grace Hopper Conference. The Grace Hopper Conference is a yearly event for women in tech. You know, all these conferences, they have giveaways and stuff like that. One of the very common giveaways were nail files and mirrors. 
And I, and I just, I was very conflicted about that because I thought, well, I mean, on the one hand is useful. I do use a nail file. I do need one every so often, but it seemed weird to give it away at a tech conference. It was odd to be handed female grooming tools in a business setting, and it seemed sort of reductive. And talking of that conference, this was the now infamous occasion when Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella was asked about raises and responded that you don't need to ask for a raise. If you deserve a raise, it will come. Talia was sitting right there in the audience, and she says the whole story got a bit blown out of context. For example, Nadella wasn't speaking specifically about women, but he was at a conference for women in tech. Like, what he said was in total innocence. There was no maliciousness around it. But it really worried me that the CEO of a company as huge as Microsoft didn't know, hadn't internalized the fact that, that really everybody gets paid based on merit, but women get paid less based on merit. And I think that he just didn't understand it. She says even though her company is trying to ensure equal pay for equal work, she believes even with official policies in place, you still need to ask for raises. So we've been talking about all these other things up to now. I wanted to find out about some of her at-work experiences. Basically, I want to ask you, what does it feel like being one of these women in tech in Silicon Valley? I mean, do you think about your gender a lot or not really? All the time. To be honest with you, I think about it all the time. Okay. She says there are more and more women in her immediate circle. The team that I'm on, actually, we have a fair number of women programmers, more than you see in other places. And we've made it a concerted, the team has made a concerted effort, and that's been great. But even then, I, I mean, I definitely have had the experience of I say something and it's just not believed until it's repeated by a guy or something like that. And it's, it's frustrating. And this kind of experience, it's added to other things that have been happening to her for ages. She just didn't know how to deal with them. And then a couple of years ago, she started reading various women and work studies and books, Lean In included. And gradually, something dawned on her. For a long time, I didn't know why I always got the feedback that I was too aggressive in my communications with people that I was I was direct and I wasn't I needed to be a little bit softer when I was talking to people. This was like for for many years going that was like the the feedback that I got. And it was always something I was trying to work on and I never really understood. And it wasn't until I went through this phase of reading these studies and then like which is again right around when Lean In came out and I read the the studies and the and Lean In and and read things like the Heidi Roizen study and about how when women are direct in the way that men are direct, it comes off brusquely and it, it's and you, you, you get dinged for it basically. And it was and that was suddenly the light just came on and I went, Oh, wait a minute, what I'm being because all I, I've been trying to emulate my male peers around me and I keep getting told you're too direct. And so instead and, and I finally realized it's like, oh, the problem isn't that I'm too direct, the problem is that I'm a woman being the same as acting the way that the men are acting. And once I started to change that, and I've actively been changing that for the last few years, which, I mean, on the one hand, I'm sad about it. And on the other hand, you know, you, you kind of do what you got to do. And I've had a lot more success doing that. And, and I've been able to, but it's, it's, it's something that I, I kind of constantly am thinking about of like, okay, how do I phrase this? Like there's, there's my gut reaction of, of how I phrase something. And then I have to stop and process it and think, okay, how do I phrase this in a way that is going to come off uh, a little more gently? 
She's far from the only woman who's had that feedback, but she wonders if it's more of a problem for women like her who work in such a male industry. She says another thing she's come up against is the expectation that she'll do what some people call office housework. Stuff like organise events, make the coffee, order the sandwiches for lunch. In many offices, it seems women are just automatically asked to do this stuff over men. It's an extension of the mother role. And that riles Talia. She tried to explain this to a male colleague at a previous job at a startup. We were working in a small company and um, like it, it was just a few of us in the, in the office. And so we all would have to wash our own dishes. And uh, I was complaining to him that he had expected me to plan an event that wasn't part of my job and wasn't something that I was going to do. And he said, you know, Talia, sometimes people have to do things that are not in their job description. For example, I wash my own dishes. And I was kind of shocked that he like thought that for him, washing his own dishes was not part of his job description, the dishes that he had dirtied, by the way. So he thought that that was something that he was doing that was like outside of his job and that he um, it was a big thing for him to be doing. And then for me that like, well, you know, you can just go and plan this this thing that's not doesn't in any way support the goals that you're trying to achieve at the company. She says what was particularly irksome about that chat. That very weekend, like the weekend before he had had this he had this discussion with me. Um, our servers had gone down and I had personally brought our systems up from an outage, which was not part of my job description, but was much more kind of company critical than him washing his dishes. But in spite of these different perceptions of who should do what and her concern about her ability to be her true, straight to the point self, she's pretty happy in her job. And she's also happy with the benefits her company offers. And in the U.S., with its lack of social programs, they are a huge reason people take or don't take jobs. Tech companies in general have good benefits. And uh, like, I mean, the, the maternity leave is amazing. And they've just increased their paternity leave program, which is great. So now um, fathers get up to 12 weeks off, which is amazing um, and and good for men and good for women. Like it, like it, when men are encouraged to take paternity leave, it's it's absolutely good for women as well. And uh, I'll give you a, like a, a little thing in them in the, they have mother's rooms, of course, and the mother's rooms are very well done here. And in the mother's rooms here, they have um, pumps, breast pumps for women to use the hospital grade Medela pumps, which is just I was amazed when I walked in and I saw those because um, I was expecting like I'm used to having to bring my own pump to work every day. Um, and it's not as good of a pump. And like, so little things like that, I, I think go a really long way. I felt very cared for coming off of maternity leave and and having that kind of perk in 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 the in the mother's room i think that they are trying very hard and you know all that brouhaha recently about companies like facebook and google offering egg freezing to female employees talia says she absolutely sees that as a benefit for women who don't have kids yet not some trick to get women to toil through their prime childbearing years Hannah Kushler wrote about the egg freezing move for the Financial Times, and she heard quite different reactions depending on who she was talking to. Yeah, it's very interesting as me as a reporter who, you know, deals with a lot of people in Europe every day and then deals with a lot of people out here. I thought it would, there was a very stark divide about, you know, a lot of people in Europe thinking, oh, my God, that sounds, you know, really overbearing and and a huge amount of pressure to put on a female employee and just another sign that, you know, we're being made to do stuff which is against our biology kind of thing. And then now here there was like, oh, it's just another option. And part of that, I think, is actually just, 
is not a sexism issue. It's just an issue about the way that people view their companies and the fact that out here people do provide healthcare in the US and that's a company-based thing. And so people are used to thinking, oh, you know, I want to go to a company that gives me a better healthcare plan. And they saw it just as that. Again, in America, you think in terms of benefits. I asked Hannah the same thing I asked Talia. Was she conscious of her status as a woman in Silicon Valley? Uh, yeah, I think I am. I think, it, it, you know, these things, your identity is multi-layered. At the same time, I realised that as a young-ish reporter, I'm in my late 20s, I don't have the same kind of scorn perhaps that I received in other parts of the world that I've worked in because, you know, people are used to young people doing, you know, big things and, and respecting them. You know, so your identity is more complicated than that. But I certainly feel like there are some times when it's it's less a one-on-one interview because, of course, you know, I'm there and people want to talk to me because of who I represent and because of how much publicity they can get by talking to me or whatever a lot of the time. So that's less the issue. But when you go to sort of big roundtable events or whatever, I can often feel very sort of talked over, pushed aside. And in fact, I was, you know, I've been at one recently where the couple of the female reporters left and neither of my questions got answered. And one of the female reporters uh, hadn't asked one till right at the end. And then when she did, she said, I've been really trying to be very polite about this but can you answer me this and they just joked oh well now you're being rude and her question was not answered talking of reporting you can receive a regular roundup of the ft's coverage by joining the ft's communities forum when you do that you'll get a curated newsletter with coverage of women in the workplace delivered straight to your inbox every month you can go to the link under this episode at thebroadexperience.com to sign up And if you're a guy who works in tech in Silicon Valley or elsewhere, I'd love to hear from you. Does all this sound familiar or do you have a different point of view? Get in touch and you could end up being a guest on a future show. That's the broad experience for this time. This is the 50th show I've produced. Thank you so much for downloading and tuning in. And please keep spreading the word as I continue to build the programme. Thanks again to April Leslie for her help putting this episode together. I'm Ashley Milne-Tite. Thanks for listening. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.